Hello, and welcome to Broadway Overanalyzed, a podcast where the spotlight is not on the Broadway stage, but on the orchestra pit underneath. In every episode, we overanalyze a new Broadway score. We'll discuss the show's soundtrack, dissect the show's recurring themes, and dive into its style, structure, and influences. My name is Samuel Riddle, and I am joined once again by my co-host, Lydia. Lyd, it's, uh, it's been a while since we've uh, recorded an episode here. Uh, what have you been up to? Nothing much, honestly. I'm excited to dig into this one. I think we were saying every podcast that we do, I appreciate the score so much more. So, uh, yeah, I'm excited to, to dive into this one. Awesome. Uh, apologies again for taking so long to get this episode out. I know May has been a pretty busy month with final exams and... I think we've both been on vacations uh, since the last episode, but yeah, it was definitely nice to get back into uh, looking at some Broadway music and playing piano and uh, going through the scores. Uh, So let's uh, jump right in here. And actually, before we jump in, uh, let me give a little plug before we move on. If you like this content, give us a like or a rating wherever you're listening whether that's on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or my YouTube channel, which is just called Sam Riddle. If you have any comments, questions, or suggestions, we would love to hear them. Send us an email at bwayoveranalyzed at gmail.com. I should probably mention, I didn't even write this down, but (laughs) I should probably mention, probably one of the biggest things that happened to Broadway Overanalyzed in the past month was uh, one of our Instagram posts was liked by uh, an actress who is on Hamilton, so that was pretty cool. (laughs) She didn't like the... uh, (laughs) the page, but she did like our post about the Wicked podcast. So uh, we are, uh, I guess, pretty uh, legit on Broadway now. (laughs) Honestly, that was pretty cool, I thought. (laughs) That's a win. That's a win. Let's jump into the focus of uh, today's show. So this is episode number three. The previous two episodes have focused on more modern shows, or relatively modern shows in Newsies and Wicked in episode two. Uh, But today we are winding back the clock all the way to 1957 to look at a show that really made uh, Broadway rumble. Uh, It's a a pretty cool show. Uh, Of course, I'm talking about the 1957 musical West Side Story. Lydia, uh, I've never seen this show put on professionally. Uh, I don't think that you have either. Uh, I'm guessing you're thinking about right now uh, the time that we went and saw a high school production of West Side Story. What were your thoughts on that? Um, yeah, so I'm not seeing the show professionally, but when I saw that it was kind of at our local high school, um, Sam and I got tickets to see the show. Not the best high school production I have ever seen. Sam, do you agree with that statement? <laughs> yeah, it, it was, you know, honestly, it was entertaining, but it was, uh, it was a high school show. <laughs> I enjoyed watching it. I think the reason I wanted to go is because they were doing student choreography or something like that, and I wanted to see kind of their take on, on the choreography and story. So, yeah, enjoyable to watch, uh, but it was high school theater, yeah. <laughs> we, we also dragged our 
cousin Emma along with us uh, <laughs> to watch that. So Emma, if you're listening, uh, apologies <laughs> for bringing you to see that, but I had a, I, I had a good time. <laughs> my first experience with West Side Story was though I remember my parents had the soundtrack for the movie and they would play it in the car on trips and I had zero idea of what the story was, what the heck was going on, uh, but I do remember just listening to the music and trying to figure out kind of what was going on. And then I remember that they showed us the movie and I remember crying in the final scene because it's terribly tragic and sad. And so that's kind of my experience uh, with West Side Story. Speaking of movies, I feel like the reason kind of that we're looking at the show right now is uh, the trailer came out recently uh recently it's probably been like a month now uh but a trailer came out recently for the uh the new uh movie that's coming out this year i think uh, of west side story yes um, yeah so that'll be really exciting i was actually i was uh looking sort of at all of the new uh movie musicals that are coming out uh and uh in the heights comes out uh this week uh, so that'll be uh, pretty fun. You gonna go see that in, in theaters? I would like to. Yeah, it's definitely a good year for for musicals. Yeah, which is good because last year during COVID, you know, we didn't get to see a lot of them. So, yeah, excited for that. We did get the uh, Hamilton uh, on Disney Plus last year, so that was cool. Um, True. <laughs> and then there was there was also recently they released the trailer for the new. Dear Evan Hansen movie. Did you see that? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, what did you think of that? I I mean it was a pretty short trailer. I only watched it once. So it was it's definitely weird to see Ben Platt trying to act like a teenager. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I am glad that he's in it, but I agree, yeah. Okay, well, really long introduction. Uh, we're getting a little off topic here. So let's try to uh, get more into the show itself, West Side Story. So Lyd, can you get us started here by introducing us to uh, the composer of the show and then describing the show's journey to Broadway? Yeah, so the composer of the show is Leonard Bernstein, whose name I completely mispronounced in the last episode, so <laughs> apologies for that, but it's uh, Leonard Bernstein. Um, I think he is unique from other composers that we've looked at so far and other musical theater composers in general because a lot of his background is in symphonic and orchestral music, uh, music for ballet and for film. He studied music at Harvard, and he eventually got a job as an assistant conductor for the New York Philharmonic. Um, he made his conducting debut without any rehearsal on short notice when the main conductor came down with the flu, and he got rave reviews um, for his conducting performance uh, that night with the New York Philharmonic. Um, so he first worked then with choreographer Jerome Robbins um, on a ballet called Fancy Free, which then eventually became the Broadway show On the Town, um, and the movie of the same name, which starred Gene Kelly and Frank Sinatra. Um, so that was his kind of first big foray into Broadway. Um, and then after that, he conducted nationally, internationally. He's composed various award-winning Broadway shows. Um, he was the music director for the New York Philharmonic. And then he eventually came back to Broadway, um, working with Jerome Robbins again, who's the choreographer for his most well-known piece, I believe, uh, West Side Story. Um, and West Side Story kind of had just a crazy journey to Broadway, honestly, when I was researching it. Um, it was Jerome Robbins' idea to do a modern retelling of Romeo and Juliet, 
but originally um, it's centered on anti-Semitism from Irish Catholics. Um, Leonard Bernstein and a lot of his collaborators there were Jewish, um, and it was entitled East Side Story at that point, um, and it was shelved at times, it went through many reworks, uh, but eventually Stephen Sondheim was brought onto the project to write uh, lyrics, which was his Broadway de debut. Um, he wasn't crazy about writing the lyrics to the show, but his mentor, Oscar Hammerstein, um, whose name might be familiar to some musical theater buffs out there, um, just gave him encouragement and told him that would be a good experience for him to do that. Um, Sondheim has famously stated that he is embarrassed by his West Side Story lyrics. Um, he finds them, quote, very self-conscious. Um, he particularly noted uh, the lyrics in I Feel pretty. He felt like it was weird for kind of a street girl to be singing lyrics like that. I heard that uh, the reason that Sondheim was kind of reluctant to write lyrics for West Side Story was because he's always worked as a musician and lyricist. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't know if you're going to talk about this. Sorry if I'm interjecting. Uh, but uh, apparently Arthur Lawrence, who wrote the book uh, for the show, uh, listened to Sondheim's music and really liked his lyrics, but wasn't really a fan of his music at all, which I think is funny because I kind of feel the same way towards Stephen uh, Sondheim, uh, yeah. I think. But anyway, that's sort of the reason why Sondheim was reluctant to just write the lyrics. Yeah, I think it's so funny that you say that because uh, Lawrence not liking his music, um, a lot of the critics of West Side Story thought that the music wasn't hummable. That was like a critique that some people gave. And Sondheim, I've heard the exact same critique kind of given to Sondheim's music, that it's not very hummable or easy to remember. Um, so I thought that was interesting that they're kind of similar in that way. Um, but their lyrics between Ber the lyrics that Bernstein likes and the lyrics that Sondheim likes are very different. Um, Sondheim, when I listen to Sondheim's music, it almost sounds like you can pull the lyrics out and you could put it like as prose. His lyrics could be dialogue, um, but Bernstein liked a more poetic lyric. Um, Sondheim, I, I read something where it said he hated the lyric uh, that Tony sings, which was, um, this world is just an address, a place for me to live in. He was like, a guy would never say that. <laughs> so that's kind of a reason that I think he doesn't really like the lyrics. They, to me, they kind of remind me of Les Mis, where there's just more of like a poetic take on music in a show, which I think is just a, a different way to approach it. Um, so Lawrence um, as well thought America and I Feel Pretty were a little too clever for the uh, characters singing them, um, but he was the one who fought to add comic relief in Act Two by adding um, Officer Krupke. Um, the show had a hard time finding a producer, um, as everyone found the show was just so dark and depressing. Um, to put this in context, the show that won music, Best Musical at the Tonys uh, was the Music Man that year, and I saw a poster from the Music Man of that year where the title, like the tagline of the musical is America's Happiest Musical on the poster, <laughs> like bold letters, and so I think it's so funny in contrast, you could say West Side Story is maybe America's saddest musical. That's um, eventually, uh, Sondheim talked to Hal Prince, who is now a famous Broadway producer, um, and he joined the, product, uh, the project. Um, and rehearsals were underway. I thought it was really interesting. I learned in the rehearsals that Jerome Robbins, who directed the show as well as choreographed it, kept the shark actors and the Jets actors away from each other during the rehearsal process. They didn't talk to each other. They only saw each other on stage to kind of like 
build that tension. Um, and then there was also a little bit of tension between the collaborators of the show. Um, Robbins demanded that he get a conceived by credit for the show and the other collaborators were mad about this and none of them were really talking to each other on opening night. <laughs> so it definitely had a wild journey, but it has obviously been a wildly successful show on Broadway and then on film. It's been revol revived multiple times. Um, in one version, the 2009 revival, uh, Lin-Manuel Miranda wrote Spanish lyrics for a few of the songs. Um, and then as we mentioned, there's a new film coming out directed by Steven Spielberg. Um, and then, as I said, it lost Best Musical to Music Man at the Tonys, uh, but it did win for, for choreography and set design. One interesting tidbit about uh, the Tony Awards for West Side Story. I mean, we, we think about it as probably one of the most iconic musicals ever on Broadway. Um, it's, so it's kind of crazy that it only won two awards. And I mean, we think of the music as being so iconic. Uh, it didn't win Best Score. The, re the reason for that being... Uh, that no musicals won best score because for some sudden really weird reason between 1952 and 1959 they eliminated the Tony Award for best original score for a musical. Of all the awards to eliminate uh, from the Tonys it seems so weird to me that they would get rid right. of it. Right, right, that's so true. Uh, yeah, so I, I think also it's, I think it's good to note maybe the reason why West Side Story was so dramatic, and I don't know a ton about this, but uh, I know, like, th this was kind of the first show where the choreography was used uh, in order to, not just sort of as like a break from the plot, but the dancing itself was used to tell the story. So when you watch the show, uh, or even in the movie as well, which the, the movie follows the musical fairly closely, um, but there's just like the first like 10, 15 minutes of the show, there's no talking. It's just basically dance being used to, sh to show how the, the two gangs are interacting with each other. And it's kind of comedic to us because there's these two tough gangs going around doing ballet <laughs> and dancing. Uh, but I, th that was something that was completely unique to Broadway at the time that seems so normal to us now is, you know, dance being used uh, to tell a story. Uh, so now, Lid, it's uh, that time of the podcast where you get to give uh, a super brief uh, synopsis for the show. Uh, so uh, tell me a little bit about the setting and the characters and what's going on in West Side Story. Yeah, so West Side Story is a modern retelling of Romeo and Juliet, uh, but instead of the Montagues and the Capulets, the feud is between two rival gangs, as you mentioned, uh, in New York City, the Jets, which is a white gang, and the Puerto Rican Sharks. Um, former Jets member Tony and a Sharks member sister Maria fall in love at a dance, and the show chronicles their story as they try to bring kind of the two gangs and worlds together um, with tragic outcomes, uh, much like its inspiration, Romeo and Juliet. Okay, thanks, Lid. Uh, now that we have some background on the show itself, let's turn to look a little more deeply at its music. Um, so similar to Wicked, 
there are a lot of sources out there that do a really good job of analyzing the music of West Side Story. I want to give credit to some of the sources that I looked at when analyzing this score. Uh, I'll talk about two really helpful uh, YouTube videos that I would recommend watching if you want to learn more uh, about uh, the music. Uh, and there's a video by a channel called Sideways. He has some really neat videos that dive into film music as well as uh, stage shows. He, actually, he just did a video on Into the Woods Lid that I meant to send to you. Uh, but anyway, uh, so check out his stuff if uh, you're interested. There's also a video on West Side Story by a channel called Inside the Score uh, about the uh, racial tension uh, in the music. Uh, let me start off by saying, to be honest, I've never really been a huge fan of the music of West Side Story. I think you know that, Lydia. Uh, but uh, for the longest time, I couldn't really understand why that was and why people really liked this score. Uh, the music for West Side Story is extremely tense. Um, so I've kind of enjoyed giving just sort of one descriptive uh, word for every score that we've looked at. So I said that Newsies was a really intense score. I said that Wicked was a really epic score. And if I could use just one uh, adjective to describe the, uh, uh, the West Side Story score, I think that I would use the word tense. Not intense like Newsies, but uh, it's a very uh, tense score. So uh, most of its music sounds uh, very dissonant. Uh, so it doesn't sound very pleasant to our ears. It's actually kind of makes us feel uncomfortable. And it, it kind of boggled my mind that people would like music that sounds like this. Uh, but I've kind of come to realize while researching this that that's sort of exactly how Bernstein wanted us to feel. Uh, when we were listening to this score. He wanted it to sound kind of unpleasant to our ears and a little uh, uncomfortable. And the way that he was able to do that was by setting up uh, something called a tritone uh, throughout his score. Um, and a, a large majority of the score is built on uh, a set of notes called a tritone. Uh, and so that's kind of the first thing that I want to talk about while we're describing the musical style and structure of uh, this music. Uh, so we need to do a little bit of uh, music theory here. Uh, so a tritone is just a special interval within a scale. An interval is just a, a spacing between two notes. Uh, so a tritone is just a, a specific interval. Um, and so to form a tritone, you just start with a note and then you move up uh, three whole steps from there. So that's why it's called a tritone because you're moving up three uh, whole steps from your original note. Um, so I want to kind of try to play this on uh, the piano for you uh, to kind of give you uh, an idea of what this sounds like. So let's look at the easiest scale uh, there is to work with, which is uh, C major. Um, and so first, uh, let me just play for you uh, middle C. And if we move up three whole steps from the C, uh, will eventually make it to uh, F sharp. So let me just work up uh, the scale uh, going from C, three whole, whole steps up to F sharp. So that right there uh, is my tritone. It's that uh, C uh, with that uh, F sharp. So let me go ahead and play uh, what that tritone uh, is so you can uh, hear what that sounds like. 
so it's a pretty ugly sound uh you can tell uh it just it doesn't sound very pleasant to our ears uh it sounds like it needs to be uh, resolved um i saw that historically this kind of uh tritone has been called the devil's interval um and it was coming from a phrase that when translated means the devil in music and that's kind of how they like re historically referred to like the tritone um so i thought that was interesting in relation to the show as well uh, we could play this interval anywhere within the scale. Uh, so if you can bear with me, I'm just going to play a little more piano here. Uh, but we can actually do this uh, with F uh, within our C major scale. Uh, so uh, here is uh, my F here. And to get my tritone, I'll just do the same thing where I'll move up from F uh, three whole steps. So working all the way up to B natural. And so I've just got another tritone here uh, that's F and B played together. And again, it's going to be that same kind of unpleasant sound we got with the C F sharp tritone. And just so you can start to see how this kind of applies uh, to uh, West Side Story, let me just go ahead and uh, play. This is what I'm going to play. I'm going to use the dominant note in this chord, so the C, and then I'm going to go up to the F, and then I'm going to play that tritone interval and go up to the B. And I'm going to play it in the rhythm uh, that you hear it uh, very often uh, in West Side Story. And so here's what that's going to sound like. So there's your uh, music theory lesson for this episode. Uh, we're going to see this tritone interval everywhere throughout the score. Uh, and this is the kind of, uh, like you were saying, Lydia, it's the kind of interval that we always associate with, uh, with like horror, uh, danger, conflict. This is, this is the kind of stuff that's used in horror movies. Uh, so just to give you an example of how the tritone is used maybe elsewhere in music, uh, I was kind of looking uh, for examples of tritones and various things, and I came across the theme song for The Twilight Zone, um, and it's just, uh, it's just three notes, that dominant note for the scale, the subdominant note, and then that note that's three whole steps above the subdominant note. And so uh, let me just go ahead and play uh, the Twilight Zone theme song for you. And honestly, if I didn't know that this was the Twilight Zone theme song, I would think, oh yeah, this could probably be something that I hear in West Side Story, uh, which is so weird because they have, I don't, I don't know, such different vibes I feel like to them. But anyway, let's take a listen to this. So basically, I guess what I'm trying to say is the West Side Story is basically just a horror musical. Uh, <laughs> let me play some examples of this tritone uh, from the score uh, now. Uh, so I'm going to play uh, a couple excerpts from the original Broadway uh, cast recording. Um, and I should note, uh, I know, Lydia, I texted you uh yesterday to tell you hey let's go through the make sure we're going through the broadway cast recording <laughs> instead of the movie recording i don't know if that threw you off at all sorry if it did i just thought it would be 
better to do uh, the Broadway cash recording since this is Broadway overanalyzed, uh, even though the movie soundtrack is probably more iconic. But anyway, we're going to stick with the Broadway uh, cash recording, and I'm sure we'll make a ton of comparisons with the movie uh, as we go along. So anyway, let me let me first play. It's the very first uh, notes that are played when the show opens. The orchestra's very first sounds are a tritone, uh, and so let me just play the first few minutes or the first few seconds of uh, the prologue uh, from West Side Story. So this tritone becomes the biggest uh, motif or theme within this score. Uh, it comes to represent the conflict and the hatred between the Sharks and the Jets, the uh, two gangs in the show. Um, of course, it also comes up big in the final scene of Act One, where the two gangs fight each other in the rumble, uh, and Riff and Bernardo are both killed. So let me just play a segment from uh, the track from the Broadway cast recording called The Rumble. Riff, what are you doing? Oh, Tony. Unfortunately, there's really no resolution at the end of the show either. A uh, little spoiler alert for you, but at the end of the show, uh, basically everyone ends up dead. Uh, uh, so Tony is going to end up dying. Um, and the show actually ends uh, with this same tritone. We actually talked about this a little bit uh, in the last episode. It actually ends the same way. Uh, that Wicked ends. It was actually kind of crazy walking through this score how many references I was able to see from other musicals sort of taking things uh -huh. from the West Side Story scores. So that was kind of cool. Um, but anyway, Wicked and West Side Story basically have the same tritone ending. Uh, so let me just go ahead and play a segment uh, from the finale. So it's kind of more subtle there, uh, but you can hear kind of the, there's like the somewhere notes going on in the melody, but then there's this quiet bass that's a tritone interval uh, from the somewhere melody uh, down into that bass, which kind of gives us that unsettled, dissonant right. feeling. It's uh, so unsettling. It just puts you on edge. Right. To make things even more unsettling, uh, this tritone makes appearances in places where you wouldn't really expect it to be. So even in the happy moments of this show, Bernstein is still imposing this tense, uncomfortable uh, sound. So let me just play a couple of examples of this throughout the score, uh, where you're going to hear the tritone. And what's going to happen is it's actually going to be there very briefly, and then it's going to quickly be resolved. Uh, and this kind of uh, idea of the tritone appearing but then being resolved really quickly is most often associated with Tony's character, uh, which is uh, pretty interesting also. Uh, so the first thing uh, that we hear is in uh, Something's Coming. So let me just play uh, the beginning of that. And you're going to hear in the uh, Who Knows line. 
uh, when Tony is singing. Uh, so it's going to be a tritone that's really quickly resolved. Could be. It's super quickly resolved, extremely subtle, uh, but it's in there. Uh, and another place where it is, uh, again, uh, very subtle, but it's still in there is when he sings Maria. Uh, so once again, the main melody where he, you know, the, the line where he sings Maria is actually a, a tritone. Uh, so let me play this for you. And hopefully I'm not going too overboard on all the examples here, but this stuff is pretty interesting. Okay, so same thing sort of with Something's Coming where you hear the tritone super briefly and then it pretty quickly uh, gets resolved. It, I think it was in that Sideways video that it was talking about how all of these kind of tritones and motifs are almost like just the same kind of notes or ideas just rearranged um, and put into the show in different ways. So I think it's interesting kind of when you get to Maria that, you know, it's, it's almost resolving at this point that um, the two of them have come together and there's, you know, that, that conflict tritone is starting to resolve. Yeah, so it, it, it is pretty cool. Um, I'm sure we'll get into more of that tritone as we dissect the soundtrack because it's literally everywhere. Uh, so we'll get into more of that. Uh, but uh, let, so basically that uh, describes the structure uh, for West Side Story. Uh, and, uh, but there's another part of this score that we could talk about, which is kind of the musical style uh, of the score. Um, so uh, Bernstein, uh, as Lydia pointed out, was more of a classically trained musician. Uh, he was a conductor for the New York Philharmonic. He's kind of more well-known as a conductor, I feel like, than as a musician. Um, so he was familiar with lots of different styles of music, and there are a lot of musical styles present in this score. It focuses kind of less on popular music of the day, which in the 1950s would have been sort of like rock and roll or kind of uh, the beginnings of popular music. Um, at the same time, though, it wasn't, uh, it, it didn't really have that sound, uh, the, the same musical theater sound as some other musicals that were being performed around that time period. This was the same time period as Rodgers and Hammerstein um, and like My Fair Lady uh, was coming out then, Music Man uh, the same year. Uh, and it just, it has a different sound to it. Uh, so a really unique uh, soundtrack. Uh, but I think the whole score has uh, more of a classical feel to it. Um, in fact, in the original Broadway cast recording, there are nine additional, uh, I guess, bonus tracks that are completely instrumental and are labeled as symphonic dances. Um, and they're labeled as movements. So they have titles, for example, like prologue, and then it's given a little... Uh, subtitle that's Allegro Moderato, and there's the Cool Fugue, which is labeled as Allegretto. And so uh, it just, it just, you can tell that Bernstein was, you know, this classically trained uh, musician. It also, the show has a really big orchestra. It has 31 different musicians in it, which is very big uh, for a Broadway show. 
Um, and I, I think that it is also due in fact to uh, the, the idea that this musical score has so many musical influences in it. So there's a lot of different instruments that are being played here. So of course there have to be uh, lots of musicians. I would say though that there are probably two major styles of music in West Side Story, uh, each of which represents either the sharks or the jets. You can kind of hear more about this in that YouTube video by Inside the Score that I uh, referenced earlier. Uh, but first of all, jazz and big, and big band music is heavy throughout the whole show uh, and is associated with the jets. And you hear this in songs like the Jets song and uh, Tony's uh, Something's Coming and you hear it in underscoring as well and in the dance music. So there's a lot of trumpet, trombone, saxophone, clarinet. Um, and then to represent the sharks, uh, you get your second style of music, which is uh, just kind of more broadly Latin American style music, most of which I'm not super familiar with, but I do know that there's a lot of pitched percussion in this style of music, and there's an emphasis on rhythm rather than melody. Um, so there's a very large percuss percussion section in the orchestrations. There were actually four different mus musicians who played uh, the percussive instruments um, in the orchestra, uh, which is a lot. Uh, so there's instruments like uh, the xylophone, a lot of xylophone actually, and then marimba and bongos and maracas, and there's finger cymbals, just, just a lot of stuff. Um, so Bernstein actually uh, does some very interesting mixing of these two musical genres uh, as well whenever the sharks and the jets are uh, getting uh, involved with each other. Um, so West Side Story, I would say, is actually a fairly simple score. Structurally, it's built basically on three notes, the dominant note uh, in the scale and then the subdominant note, which is the note for steps up uh, from that dominant note, and then the uh, another note that is a tritone interval above that subdominant note. So three, three basic notes that the entire score is built around, and then it's just basically built stylistically on uh, two different sounds, that jazz, big band, bluesy, American type sound, and then also the Latin American kind of dance sound. So um, now that we've kind of talked about how the show has come to Broadway and some of the musical uh, theory and influences of the show, we are going to go through the score. And like I said, uh, we're going to be dissecting the original Broadway cast recording, and I'm sure that we'll make uh, comparisons to the film soundtrack along the way. Really, they're very similar in their sounds. Uh, as far as the orchestrations go, they're almost exactly the same. Um, the I think the movie came out in 1961. Is that right? I'm and the and the musical came out in 1957, so pretty close together. Um, so not a ton of changes within the score. Um, there are some differences in the chronology between the two. So some songs kind of come in different places. I'm sure we'll touch on that more as we go. Um, it's a pretty short uh, cast recording. The Broadway recording only has 16 tracks. Here's something a little crazy. 
Act one has 11 of those tracks and there are only five tracks in act two. <laughs> um, wow. So I was looking at the, the score and it, uh, it suggested that act two should only take about 45 minutes. Um, mm. So kind of really imbalanced uh, uh, show there. Uh, but this is different from the, the movie, meanwhile, has 19 tracks. There are 10 tracks in Act 1 and then 9 tracks in Act 2. Uh, I'll, I'll mention one sort of interesting uh, thing that I found. When I was looking at the score, the score actually provides uh, some, as scores sometimes do, provides a little like one sentence on sort of the setting of the show. Um, and so let me just read uh, this description that uh, the score gives for the show. It says, the action takes place on the west side of New York City during the last days of summer. Um, and then also, I think it's funny that, that it's just like so specific. It's like, it's during the last days of summer. Um, yeah. But anyway, it also, it gets even more specific because it also divides the show up into 15 scenes. Uh, each uh, of these is listed with its own location. Uh, and so it'll just say things like the street or a backyard or under the highway for the rumble. Um, but anyway, and then it also gives a very specific time uh, for each of these scenes. So it'll be like, it'll be like scene one, under the highway, uh, 11.30 p.m. <laughs> uh, so interesting that uh, the score gives such specific uh, instructions uh, for the setting of each of these scenes. And the musical only spans uh, two days, uh, very similar to uh, Shakespeare's Romeo and Juliet. So let's get started with the first track in the Broadway cast recording, which is the prologue. Uh, this is a super iconic opening, um, and uh, we already talked about before how it's really just a big um, dance number, uh, which is such an interesting way to start the show. It's completely instrumental music. There's very little dialogue given. If there is any dialogue, it's just sort of a single kind of interjection, uh, and it's just, it's just dancing telling the story uh, right off the bat. So as, as soon as we're uh, as soon as we dive into the show, we know exactly what kind of show this is going to be. We've talked a little bit about, like, the structure of how a musical is set up before, and I think this is such an interesting start because it's not a traditional opening number, um, and I think you maybe could say that the Jet song is the opening number, but I think, like, as far as this musical is structured, I think this prologue dance scene is is the opening number so it's just it's kind of a strange way to start the show um and i read something that said that bernstein was definitely not a minimalist composer but the way that he uses like empty space in music to like build tension is really interesting like some of the first sounds that you hear in the story are like finger snapping um, and he's just kind of building, building attention, and it's kind of further echoed in, like, the choreography and the dialogue. The choreography starts with, like, some walking around and moves to, like, kicking and then full dancing, and same with the dialogue that starts with a couple of, like, beat-its, <laughs> uh, which, for some reason, they say beat-it a lot, and it's kind of that cracks me up, um, and yeah, and then it transitions to full dialogue, so it's kind of, like, 
just slowly building and building that tension, which is so effective. I have a I have a couple of comments uh, from the stuff that you said. <laughs> First of all, uh, apparently, so apparently, when they were writing, when Arthur Lawrence was writing the book for this musical, and I should mention, we've mentioned book before. If you're not familiar with musicals, I thought this might have been confusing with Wicked because we were talking about like a novel that the musical is based on, and then also the book. If you're not familiar with musicals, the book for a musical is like the script, or like the unsung. Uh, parts of the show. Anyway, just thought I should clarify that. Um, but anyway, apparently when Arthur Lawrence, who wrote the book, uh, was writing this thing, they were scared. He was putting in all this like street slang and they were scared that it, if the show were still going on in like two years, that that slang would no longer be relevant. Uh, and so apparently Lawrence like came up with all of this like slang language that he just like came up with on his own. <laughs> I, I wish I could think of an example right now, but apparently they're just like some random words that he basically just invented for West. <laughs> Interesting, huh? Uh, also, uh, the, the, the snapping is super iconic. Um, this is going to be something we'll see throughout the show where the actors are kind of making their own percussive uh, uh, sounds on stage. So there, there'll be some clapping, there'll be some snapping, some whistling even. Um, and so that's kind of cool. I think that was something that was sort of unique to this show. Um, what about, do you think that uh, the, the, the beginning of Hamilton is also iconic because of its snapping? Do you think that Lin-Manuel Miranda was thinking about West Side Story when he wrote the, the snapping pieces and the Alexander Hamilton uh, song? Dropped in the middle of a forgotten spot in the Caribbean by providence impoverished and squalor. Grow up to be a hero and a scholar. That is such an interesting connection. I did not even think of that. I I can probably like 100% say that's probably true because Lynn wrote lyrics to the 2009 Broadway revival. So like obviously very familiar and close to this show. So yeah, wouldn't put it past him for sure. <laughs> The uh, song uh, opens up with that conflict motive uh, that I played earlier on the piano. And then we're also introduced to another big theme which in, within the show, which is the Jets theme. Uh, and this actually, this theme includes a tritone interval as well. Um, and it's going to be used as a melody in the Jets song, which we'll see in just a second. It's used as underscore all the time, especially in the movie, uh, whenever the Jets are on the screen. What's interesting is it's also used whenever the police are on uh, screen. Um, and then it's, it's used sometimes for Tony as well. Uh, so a little more uh, kind of clever uh, musical references that Bernstein is making to sort of affect us subconsciously. I think it's been noted too that kind of the underscoring of the police with the Jets theme, um, it's been speculated that this could mean that um, Bernstein is saying that the cops kind of have a bias towards the Jets as opposed to uh, the Puerto Rican Sharks. Let me go ahead and play uh, this Jets theme on uh, the piano for us. So again, you hear that uh, tritone interval uh, coming in once again, but it's also got kind of that jazzy swing uh, to it. 
one more thing I want to point out about the prologue is we get uh, a lot more of this kind of switching in between the heavy American jazz sound to the Latin American sound. Uh, you hear a lot of bongos being played in the prologue, in the prologue as uh, the Sharks and the Jets are interacting. Um, and I, I want to play a segment from the prologue uh, just so we can hear a little bit of that. Um, the, the song, honestly, if you were to hear this separately, not knowing that it was from West Side Story, it almost sounds like it's from some like, uh, like action spy kind of movie to me. It's kind of, it's kind of interesting to listen to it. Uh, so let's, let's take a listen. two musical styles are kind of fighting just like the gangs are and I think it just kind of it lends itself to the fact that Bernstein has written ballets and has kind of experience in that world too it, it feels very ballet to me let's move on to the second track in the Broadway cast recording which is the jet song and so we're finally get gonna get some uh, singing in here um, so this song kind of introduces us to riff who is uh, the leader of the Jets. Um, I think it sort of serves as a, a scene setter. Obviously the prologue served as a scene setter, but it also kind of set, uh, serves as a scene setter to help us understand uh, even better the kind of conflict between uh, the two gangs. Uh, let's remember uh, that Jets theme that I talked about earlier, uh, and this time it's used here as melody, so I'll just play the opening to this song, um, and it's the, uh, you're never alone, <laughs> uh, so uh, those lyrics are just uh, the Jet uh, theme, um, and once again, it is a tritone, so let's go ahead and play that. When you're a jet, you're a jet All the way from your first cigarette To your last dying day When you're a jet, if the spit hits the fan You got brothers around, you're a family man You're never alone, you're never disconnected There's also a lot of uh, super loud, sudden, emphasized notes in this song um, it's called sforzando is the musical term, uh, but this is just when, you know, things are going along at kind of a normal uh, volume, and then all of a sudden you get these really dramatic, you hear in the bah, bah. <laughs> uh, so that, that's another thing that I think is kind of always weirded me out about this score. I kind of love that, like, I feel like it packs a punch, like, whenever I'm listening to it, I don't know, it's just like, gets me, like, riled up, I don't know. Um, I did want to ask you, and I don't know if you have would have an answer to this, but is there something musically, like, to me, when I listen to this, it sounds like they're singing, like, a little after the beat of the music. Is that, so, and that, that's, the same thing happens in Something Coming. Is that, like, does that have a name or something, or, like, why is that going on, or, like? I think the, uh, the musical term for this is, uh, rushing, 
I don't know if it has. I believed you. <laughs> I don't know if it has any uh, musical term. It probably does, and I just don't know about it. Um, but I've, I've noticed that a little bit also. I was going to talk about it a little bit when we talked about tonight. Um, mm. And I actually, I have some interesting thoughts, I think, on that, where there's like this driving beat in tonight where the um, the singing always seems to be sort of out in front of it, which I right. think is really cool. In, and I'm going to talk, talk about this later, or I'll just talk about it now. <laughs> but uh, like in tonight when uh, Marie and Tony are singing, it's kind of like they're rushing musically in the mm -hmm. same way that they're rushing sort of into this relationship. Okay, it also happens again in the Tonight Quintet, uh, where they're rushing musically as they're also rushing into this rumble with each other. Um, so, uh, yeah, that's that's cool. It's also, I feel like it just adds to, like, the unsettling part of it, because just that the rhythms seem different, it's, it feels uns like something is, like, a little off. And so it, it unsettles you a little bit to your ear, I don't know. Uh, there's there's a lot of kind of uh, fake swearing uh, in this score. So the the song kind of ends with his there all the jets are singing the whole buggin street or something like that. Um, and there's a lot of points in the show where you kind of would expect some, kind of some cursing, which um, which uh, was not common to hear on the Broadway stage uh, during that time period. Um, so it, that kind of also lends itself to Arthur Lawrence sort of coming up with his own kind of street language uh, for the show, which is interesting. I watched the 2009 revival. I watched a bootleg of it to kind of, I, we, maybe should we, we should not keep talking about watching bootlegs on this show, but I feel like it, since it was in 2009, it's okay. Um, so I saw critiques of that that was saying it, it seemed very sweet. Like, the guys on stage didn't really seem like they were in gangs. And I think kind of that it has kind of a 50s vibe where maybe some of the music or some of the book, it doesn't seem maybe as genuine street gang as, as you might think it should. I don't know. I thought that was interesting. Could be. All right, well, let's move on to uh, track number three, which is uh, Tony's uh, sort of solo song, Something's Coming. Uh, Lid, we've talked a lot on this show about um, I Want songs. Uh, would you consider Something's Coming to be an I Want song? I definitely do think it's an I Want song. I think it's in that place of the show, and it has kind of that, like, hopeful sentiment. But it's so interesting as an I Want song because he doesn't really know what he wants. <laughs> so we don't really know. <laughs> we just know something's out there for him. Um, so yeah, that's how I would categorize it, though, for sure. Quick question. Uh, Seth's mowing the lawn out there. Can you hear the lawnmower? No. Okay, cool. Keep that in. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so this song has this underlying uh, rhythmic section uh, that has these descending quarter notes in the bass, and then there's a syncopated rhythm over that. Um, so th this sort of syncopation is really big in jazz music. 
Um, so it gives this song sort of an even greater jazz feel, but then also kind of that same sort of unsettling feeling because our rhythms aren't really matching up between the uh, treble and the bass. Um, so let me just play on the piano um, that uh, rhythmic section from Something's Coming. And then we've already talked about uh, that uh, tritone that's being really quickly resolved over this uh, really quick rhythmic accompaniment uh, that uh, we just heard. Um, what's cool about this song is you got this really quick rhythmic accompaniment, but then it stops really suddenly, and then you get these really quick chords that are being played, uh, which I think has a really cool effect before it's going back uh, to the uh, rhythmic accompaniment. I was thinking about just lyrically for this song. Um, I talked about before how Sondheim kind of writes the way that people talk. Um, uh, he just has lyrics that you feel like he could just pull out and make dialogue. And even though Bernstein liked a more poetic lyric, you can still kind of feel the Sondheim in it and that Sondheim writes lyrics the way people talk and the way people emphasize things kind of like something's due any day i will know right away like it's just he puts the emphasis that that the kind of melody has on the same words that we would put emphasis on so i think that's just re it really like packs a punch and i it's just so cool to see how he the way that he writes lyrics um and then just the lyric something's coming i feel like it kind of just describes a tritone perfectly <laughs> you're looking for that resolution and it's just coming but not quite there yet. Hmm. Uh, there's some pretty cool orchestrations in the uh, original Broadway cast recording. There's this one section that I really like in the song where there are these violins that are playing on top of the melody and it has kind of this really creepy vibe to it but I, I kind of like the sound. Let me just play uh, the segment that I'm talking about here. Um, one improvement that I like in the film version is that uh, the the Broadway version ends, uh, this song sort of ends not very excitingly, uh, but then what the, what the movie does is they have Tony actually go up and he, he ends the song on this like high falsetto, I think it's his falsetto, where he kind of ends it on a really high note. Uh, and you don't hear that in the uh, original Broadway cast recording. So I think that was a good improvement uh, in the movie soundtrack. Maybe too light, maybe too light. Well, the fourth track in uh, the original Broadway cast recording is another instrumental uh, track, and it's called The Dance at the Gym. Um, and so this is sort of when we get uh, more of this uh, shark 
and Jet uh, interacting. So it's uh, completely instrumental. It's a big dance number. We've already talked about how this is a heavy dance show. Um, I thought I, I thought about uh, people talk about uh, diegetic music um, in uh, in uh, films or in uh, stage shows. Basically, diegetic music is just music that's being sung on the stage that the other that the actors on the stage are supposed to actually be uh, hearing as music, I guess, within the story. Um, and so I thought about how this scene sort of has like some diegetic dancing <laughs> uh, because, you know, in the, in the prologue, it's not really diegetic dancing because it's just them, you know, prancing around New York City doing ballet as they pretend to be threatening gangs. Uh, but this is actually sort of like diegetic dancing where they're having an actual dance uh, at the gym. I was actually going to make a point about diegetic music in this score because the melody of Maria is heard kind of when Maria and Tony meet. It's kind of in a different rhythm, but the melody is still there. And so I was thinking about how it's so cool that like, then when you get to Maria, that song is not diegetic. It's, you know, Tony singing about his feelings and that's not in the world of the show. But the fact that he heard that melody diegetically means that he's kind of like humming the song that he met Maria to and putting her name to it. And I was just like, oh, that is so cool. <laughs> I just love that. Ooh, that is, I really like that. That's really cool. Uh, let me go ahead and play uh, the segment that you're talking about from the Dance at the Gym where, uh, like you said, we get the Maria uh, melody. So I'll just go ahead and play that from the soundtrack. And again, we, we're hearing more of that kind of uh, percussion that's being produced by the actors themselves, um, which is uh, coming up even more now uh, within the scores. We got the snapping and then uh, some clapping uh, as well. Uh, the song, because of that part in it, has quickly become like one of my honestly like favorites in the score for some reason. I love listening to it. And it, it, like at that part where it slows down and it's like dun, 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 dun. Dun, 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 dun. It's just like, it's so catchy. Yeah, I'm just been like humming it around a lot. But I did want to, I don't know if you're going to do this either, but I kind of wanted to go through in the same way that the prologue kind of like contrasts the American music and the more Latin music. Um, I thought it was interesting to kind of like go down and see how that progresses throughout the song. But it starts with big band, um, American music, and then goes into a paso doble. I might be pronouncing that completely incorrectly, but it's more of like a Mexican um, rhythm when the uh, boys are promenading around the girls and they're supposed to dance with whoever they kind of get in front of. Um, but it's an interesting pasa doble, I don't know if you're going to talk about this, where it kind of like, it falls kind of like on the wrong note almost, and it's, again, it's kind of like that unsettling ending to something, and it kind of, I saw someone said that it kind of almost becomes like a caricature of itself, that they're just going around in this circle and it's kind of getting more and more chaotic. Um, and then right after that, when they decide not to dance with the person that's in front of them and they go kind of back into their own groups, um, the white people and the 
Puerto Ricans. Um, it goes into a mambo, which is a Cuban rhythm. Um, and then we hear the cha-cha, which you just played, which is another Cuban rhythm. When Tony and Maria talk to each other for the first time, there's kind of like a Hollywood filmic style music kind of uh, underscoring their conversation. Then we go back to the Pasa Doble when Tony and Maria's kiss is interrupted. Um, and then it ends with swing blues, American again, underscoring dialogue. I'm glad you broke that down because I didn't have any of it uh, written in my notes. Uh, so yeah, that is, that is really cool for sure. Uh, one thing I also did want to note is that this the Broadway cast recording only uh, is three minutes long, this dance number. The movie soundtrack, the dance uh, number is nine minutes long. <laughs> so it's a super long, just like instrumental piece uh, within the uh, movie uh, soundtrack. Maria, I've just met a girl named Maria. And suddenly that name will never be the same to me. So we've already talked about it a little bit, uh, but the next track uh, in the cast recording is Tony's song Maria. And uh, like Lydia said, maybe it's just him sort of uh, pulling back into that melody that he heard uh, during the dance. Um, so uh, Maria begins with this kind of weird prologue where uh, there's a whole chorus of guys singing Maria's name. This is kind of, West Side Story is such an artsy, fartsy type of uh, show, you know, there, there's just so, there's so much like artsy, fartsy kind of stuff going on. Uh, but this is sort of the, one of those moments where you're like, this is so weird, but I guess it works. Uh, but there's all these guys singing Maria's name. And then finally, you know, t Tony kind of comes up out of it and uh, belts out uh, her name. Uh, so there, there's a lot of sort of dream-like sort of sequences in this show. And I think we'll talk about it a little bit more. Um, but as we've already seen, the majority of the song is a tritone. Uh, that is quickly resolved. I think it might be worth it just to look at this again. Um, so let me go ahead and play on the piano uh, that uh, Maria tritone. Just really quick, but you can hear uh, right before it gets resolved how it's on this sort of uh, uncomfortable interval. Um, I, maybe uh, let me go ahead and play it and I'm going to play it and I'm just going to pause kind of on uh, the tritone before I move into Maria. And you can see how it sort of hangs there. Um, and, you know, we're, we're kind of like, okay, are you going to resolve this? Uh, so let me just go ahead and play that. So when it happens in the song, it's, it's, uh, it's really quick, the resolution. Uh, but you, you still hear, and I think you're sort of subconsciously realizing that there still is something unsettling about uh, what's going on here. It is kind of cool, though, that the hate conflict motif that plays in the prologue is not really resolved. It kind of hangs there. But then when you get to something's coming in Maria, it is resolving. Um, so you can see kind of like when the gangs are at odds with one another, there's no resolution. But when Maria and Tony have found each other and kind of bring those two worlds together, there is resolution. So it's just, it's just storytelling by music. And I think that's so clever. 
One of my favorite parts of this song is when uh, Tony gets into this. I guess it's kind of a bridge maybe where he just starts singing Maria's name over and over and over again. Uh, but what's cool is the orchestra is playing uh, the melody from the verse underneath that. Um, and so let me go ahead and uh, play that segment of the song. I'll never stop saying Maria. And then similar to uh, Something's Coming, uh, this song ends on another really kind of high, soft falsetto note uh, with uh, Tony ending the song. So we still haven't really heard a song ending in like a big belt yet, uh, which I think kind of gives uh, this score sort of a more dreamy feel to it. Um, so I, I just feel like, I don't know, it sort of adds to that kind of whimsical sound uh, to this score. Nothing is, nothing is very dramatic yet. That brings us to the sixth track uh, on the cash recording, which is this song, Tonight. Um, so basically what's happened is Tony has left the dance at the gym and he's gone to Maria's house and they've had this uh, scene uh, at the balcony. Um, and this is uh, actually the first song in the musical where the tritone is completely absent. Uh, so that's kind of cool uh, because, you know, finally, Maria and Tony are together. They're away from all the conflict with the uh, sharks and the jets. Uh, and finally, we're getting sort of a more, more pure song. There's nothing uh, unsettling about it. Uh, there's, a, there's a slow introductory melody that's being sung. And then the pace really quickens. And we get that driving, almost march-like rhythm uh, that I uh, mentioned briefly before. Uh, it's played by what sounds like to me is a muted trumpet. Um, and uh, and I, I mentioned before that maybe this is signifying how quickly the relationship is progressing. Uh, they're kind of rushing the melody as they go into it. Um, it's also the song's time signature is 2-2, two -two, uh, which is cut time. And you, it's basically the same as 4-4. Uh, four -four. Um, so 1-2-3-4. Uh, but then the, the driving beat is actually in groups of three. Um, so it kind of goes beyond what the time signature calls for. This is the most iconic song, I think, of the musical. And it's also coupled with the iconic balcony scene from uh, Romeo and Juliet. Really beautiful. I wanted to take a quick look at uh, the ending um, because, uh, again, it's a very soft ending, no belting at all. Um, so once again, sort of that dreamy, whimsical air about uh, this song. 
Um, and then what's going to happen is the song is going to end the same way that the musical ends, um, except it's not going to have that tritone bass note in it. Uh, so that's really cool. So it's kind of our, it's, it just makes me happy because it's our first song where there's like, I can listen to it without like cringing in any of the, <laughs> at any of the tritone intervals. Uh, um, so. it, it makes the ending so much more heartbreaking because that like kind of like that somewhere leap is so hopeful in that melody. And then because you hear it here and you're like, you have so much hope and you're like, they're together. This is amazing. And then the ending just crushes your dreams. <laughs> True. So, yeah. Let's take a listen to the end of this song. That takes us to the seventh track, which is uh, simply called America. Um, and uh, it's actually interesting. In the original Broadway cast recording, this song is only sung by uh, the Puerto Rican women, uh, the women who are associated uh, with the sharks. Uh, in the movie, they changed this up so that the guys join in as well. And this is sort of the first song where we get our, uh, our, our first association with Anita. Uh, who is uh, Bernardo's girlfriend um, and uh, sort of the main female character other than Maria. This is another song. So we got our second song in a row without any tritone. Um, and because this is the uh, Puerto Ricans uh, song, uh, we're going to get a lot of the heavy, you know, Latin American sounds um, uh, and as well uh, a lot of uh, uh, per percussive orchestration. I read that um, this song starts in Tiempo de, de Cies, and again, sorry about pronunciation, but this is the only purely Puerto Rican-inspired piece of music in the show, actually. Um, and then it goes to Tempo de Huapango, which is uh, Mexican. So um, just kind of starts with those Latin rhythms. Yeah, so the uh, Huapango, and again, yeah, I, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that right, but anyway. Uh, that is a style of dance music, sort of like the kinds that you would hear from a mariachi band. Uh, and the key attribute of this musical style is that there are alternating rhythm patterns. Uh, and so you're going to hear that in America, where it's, it's got this kind of pattern where it goes one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three. So it's kind of the fast, fast, short, uh, kind of similar to our Tricio, actually. Uh, that we talked about on a previous episode. Um, but yeah, the one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three. Uh, just to give us an idea of what this dance style of music is like outside of the score, I just randomly YouTube searched on YouTube Paul Pango, and uh, this is the song that I found. Uh, so let's let's give this a listen. <laughs> So do you, do you hear how kind of the, the rhythm uh, behind that is sort of the same as America is? Yeah, yeah. 
It's got kind of the, the fast rhythm followed by something a little uh, slower. Um, so that's kind of the same style that we hear uh, in America. The only other thing I was going to add to this is that for the orchestrations, we get more percussion from live actors. Uh, maybe, maybe I can call it diegetic percussion. I just thought of that. <laughs> diegetic <laughs> percussion. Um, so clapping, whistling. Um, and then we also get a lot of Latin American percussion instruments. In particular, I'm going to try my best at pronouncing these, uh, claves and huiro. Um, so yeah. I think it's interesting just thematically with the show, this song having no kind of conflict motif or no tritone. Um, again, I think it's something Bernstein is saying about um, the conflict that's going on in his show. Um, the Jets have a lot of this conflict motif in weaving, woven, whoa, <laughs> within their songs. <laughs> um, but here, uh, the Puerto Ricans don't have this conflict theme. So Bernstein is kind of saying that a lot of the conflict is stemming from uh, the Jets. So talking about uh, diegetic music again, um, this America melody and rhythm kind of returns, um, at least in the movie, it's played over the radio uh, when Anita comes to Doc's drugstore and she's uh, sexually assaulted um, by the Jets. Um, and in America, in the first part that it's played, it's kind of celebrating uh, the culture and the rhythms. Um, but then when it's played over the radio, it's kind of distorted in this way that it feels very unsettling um, when we kind of see, see Anita being assaulted. So that's kind of another place that it turns up again in Act Two um, as just very, again, offsetting and off-putting. Off Easy action. Let's move on to the eighth track in the musical, which is the song Cool. Um, this is really uh, the first sort of big diversion that the Broadway show takes from the movie, or that the movie takes from the Broadway show, I should say. Um, so this song in the movie is sung by the remaining Jets after Riff has died during the rumble. Uh, but uh, on Broadway, Riff is actually the one who sings this song himself. Uh, I assume, I haven't, like I said, haven't really seen the show, uh, but I, I assume it's Riff just sort of trying to prepare the Jets uh, for the upcoming uh, rumble that's about to happen. And uh, because it's the Jets, of course, our tritone is back. And actually, uh, there are two sets of tritones that are included. They're actually the two tritones that I played earlier, uh, the C to F sharp tritone and the F natural to B. And it's the tritone is in the melody. Uh, so first of all, the uh, boy, boy, and then the got a rocket uh, melody as well. Uh, so there's two different tritones. Uh, so that's uh, kind of interesting. Um, and uh, I'll go ahead and play that for you so you can hear uh, the two tritones in this song. Thank you. 
Easy boy, get cool boy. Got a rocket in your pocket. Keep coolly cool boy. So not only are there these uh, heavy tritones, but it's extremely jazzy feel. It's probably the most jazzy song in the score, really swinging syncopated melody. Uh, you got those sort of jazz sounding drums, and then there's this xylophone that's kind of echoing the melody. Uh, we also have our snapping is making a return. Uh, so uh, it's kind of uh, something that the Jets like to do, I guess, is snap. And so they brought that back for uh, this song as well. Um, I wanted to point out kind of an interesting change in the orchestrations with the movie, uh, which, you know, you heard that you heard that sort of xylophone backing up the melody in the Broadway cast recording. Uh, in the movie, uh, there's this, I, it's some sort of string. I, I can't tell. I think it's a guitar. Uh, but I'm not really sure. But the riff that they play kind of sounds like it's like from like a rock song or something. So let me just play the beginning of the uh, movie soundtrack so you can contrast uh, these two. You want to live in this lousy world? Play it cool. I want to get even. Get cool. I want to bust. Bust cool. I want to go. Go cool. This is one change that I really love that the movie made um, because in the movie there are a couple more places where the songs are changed out but I think the big change is that G Officer Krupke was moved to kind of this point in the show and Cool was moved to right after directly after the rumble um, and I I really like that change because I think it's so odd for there to be like such a comedic song in act two after like riff and bernardo have died it seems very off-putting and like the tone is not correct um i think also g officer krupke is better at kind of like introducing the jets their personality um where they're coming from i think it should be earlier in the show um and also cool has never been one of my favorite songs of the show i just think because it's the tr it is like very off-putting still kind of as we've been talking about and i think that's perfect for right after the rumble they like it it makes you like they feel very tense um so I, I i do like that change that they made in the movie um so in the 2009 revival of the show directly after cool um the sharks come in to talk to the jets about the details of the rumble. Um, then the cops come in to kind of break everything down and the sharks leave. Um, I don't know if this is in the original because I wasn't able to find a bootleg of that, but in the 2009 revival, as the sharks leave, they whistle My Country Tis of Me um, as they're all kind of like filing out. But at the very end, they whistle like a dissonant note to the end of the song. And I just thought that was so interesting. I mean, they just said, sweet land of liberty of the I sing and the sing is like so off. So I just thought that was so interesting that they're kind of saying like, it's not a land of liberty for us type of thing um, as they're, the cops have kind of like forced them to leave Doc's drugstore. Um, so I thought that was just an interesting uh, music piece. Huh, that's cool. Let's move on now to the ninth track, which is a song that's called One Hand, One Heart. Uh, and what happens here is Tony and Maria meet at the bridal shop the next evening. 
at exactly 5.30 p.m. actually, according uh, to the score. Um, uh, and they have this sort of uh, fake wedding ceremony and they uh, sing this song. Honestly, it's kind of a, uh, it's kind of a cheesy song, very pretty song, but a little cheesy perhaps. Um, and it sounds quite a bit different uh, from the rest of the score. One of the reasons for this might be because uh, Leonard Bernstein was actually writing uh, a musical called Candide uh, at the same time that he was writing West Side Story. Um, and uh, Candide was a, it, it, it's labeled at least on Wikipedia as uh, an operetta. Uh, so it's, you can, I, I think you can think of like Les Mis or like Phantom of the Opera as kind of like an operetta. Uh, so sort of operatic styling to it, but still with kind of a popular music sound. Um, and so uh, this uh, song, One Hand, One Heart, or at least the melody for it, was originally intended for Candide, uh, but then uh, Bernstein decided to use it in West Side Story. So maybe that's one of the reasons why it has sort of a more pure, light-hearted sound to it than any of the other songs within uh, West Side Story. I will note that despite uh, it having that sort of pure, happy sound to it, the tritone is still there. Uh, you might be kind of surprised to hear, uh, but uh, it's actually heard in the form of the melody for Maria. Uh, so let me just go ahead and play the segment of One Hand, One Heart, where that tritone appears. Anyway, I thought that was interesting that even though this is kind of one of the more pure songs, there's still that tritone there. We just can't get rid of it. I did read that someone's take on it being sounding so different um, from the rest of it was that since it's just these two characters, um, it kind of sounded like Bernstein was almost like letting the characters truly believe in their love and that their love was going to work. Um, so it, it is kind of like cheesy in that way, but I think that's the way that the characters are kind of like viewing their lives at this moment. Uh, I mentioned this in the last episode to you, Lydia, but then I deleted it uh, when I was editing. Uh, but the ending to uh, this song, One Hand, One Heart, is actually extremely reminiscent of uh, the theme in Jason Robert Brown's The Last Five Years. There's just this very simple chord progression uh, that is uh, identical uh, in these two songs. Um, and so I'll go ahead and play that for you on the piano. So just kind of something to add to our musicals that are referencing West Side Story. We had the, you know, the ending from Wicked, the snapping in Hamilton, this chord progression from the last five years. So just cool to see just how influential this musical has been on Broadway. Right, that's so cool.
So let's move along to the 10th track, which is Tonight. Um, uh, basically a reprise of Tonight. It's labeled in uh, the soundtrack as Tonight Quintet. Um, and what's happening is everyone's sort of heading off or preparing for the rumble to happen. Um, uh, according to the score, the quintet is sung by Tony, Maria, Anita, Bernardo, and Riff. So that's five people, a quintet. Um, but in both the original Broadway cast recording and the film recording, Bernardo's part is sung by all of the sharks and Riff's part is sung by all of the jets. Uh, so those are sort of the, the five components of uh, this song. We have that driving rhythm uh, in threes uh, from tonight that is back. And as I mentioned before, it's kind of rushing a little bit, maybe rushing into uh, this rumble a little bit too quickly. Um, and what's going to happen is first uh, the Jets and the Sharks are going to take turns singing uh, phrases with this melody that's completely new to this song. And then Anita is gonna uh, sing her own section with the same tune. Uh, then Tony's gonna come in and he's gonna sing that earlier melody for tonight that he sang earlier. Then the Jets are gonna show up, sing their melody, ask Tony to join them in the rumble. Um, and then uh, Maria's gonna come in singing tonight again. She's gonna be joined by Tony, so they're singing that previous melody for tonight that they sang, and then Jet, the Jets, the Sharks, and Anita are all going to sing uh, underneath that. And it's a pretty uh, cool way for uh, Act 1 to kind of start to end. We're going to get the rumble before Act 1 actually ends, uh, but it's kind of got that like one day more kind of effect from Les Mis where all of a sudden all of the singers are on stage all singing on top of each other different melodies. Uh, so it's a pretty cool effect. I thought lyrically it was interesting in this song. Um, it kind of brings in the sentiment of Romeo and Juliet in Shakespeare. Uh, Shakespeare has a line that says, come gentle knight, come loving black browed knight. And in the lyrics, there's this same idea of wanting the night to be over and, uh, or wanting the day to be over and the night to come more quickly. Uh, one thing that I think is a little odd about this song is for some reason, it doesn't sound very full to me, and I think that's because the Jets and the Sharks' melodies are both so low. <laughs> they, they sing so low, and then Maria and Tony, especially Maria, is singing so incredibly high, and so there's this, like, huge gap in the range, and so for some reason, it sounds like it's not really full to me. I don't know. Maybe yeah. that's just me being nitpicky. No, I agree. I see the connection between One Day More and this song. Uh, but yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't really have that full sound that, that One Day More has, for sure. We do get this neat little uh, piece of transitional music in between each section of this song. So I just want to play that uh, so uh, we're familiar with it. We get a really big finish uh, from Tony and Maria finally at the end of this song. So this is sort of our, our first time where we get kind of some like big belting from the main characters. Uh, so maybe that's symbolizing that all of a sudden this isn't really just like a, a big dream anymore, but all of a sudden it's very real uh, as uh, everyone is heading to the rumble.
That takes us to the last track in Act One, at least in the Broadway cast recording. Actually, in the movie, uh, the uh, rumble takes place in Act Two. In the movie, there is actually like uh, like there were in movie musicals back in the day. There was like an actual intermission uh, in the theater. Uh, and the rumble actually came after that intermission. But in the Broadway show, uh, this is how uh, Act Two ends. This is yet another completely instrumental song. This is our third one, our third completely instrumental song in the soundtrack. And this is just uh, uh, a scene where the sharks and the jets are gonna fight uh, or dance uh, in this case. Uh, and uh, we're gonna hear a lot of the tritones, the, that conflict hate motif is back in full force. Um, I think the most interesting about this song is there's not much melody here. Uh, there's a lot more of those forsandos, uh, outbursts of music. Everything's very chaotic. Uh, nothing really hummable about it, which fits perfectly with uh, what's going on on stage. Uh, and it ends Act One very sadly because it leaves with you know Riff and Bernardo dead on the stage, which was very shocking to. Uh, people uh, watching Broadway shows in 1957. This song kind of feels very film scorey to me um, whenever I listen to it. And I even thought of the term that I've heard before in film scoring, which is Mickey Mousing, um, which in, is a film technique that syncs accompanying music to ex like exactly to the actions that are happening. Like if someone was like falling down the stairs, it'd be like, dun, 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 dun. like you kind of hear every step of the music. Um, and I feel like when I listen to this song, even just listening to the soundtrack, I can almost see the actions that are taking place on stage. The music kind of perfectly scores uh, the actions that are taking place. Well, that brings us to Act Two, and as I said earlier, uh, at least in the Broadway version of West Side Story, Act Two is very short. There are only uh, five tracks in the soundtrack, and the first one is track number 12, uh, which is a track called uh, I Feel Pretty. This is probably one of the most uh, well-known um, songs in the soundtrack, which is funny because it has such a different sound than <laughs> uh, the rest of the songs uh, in the score. Um, what's interesting about uh, the score is that, uh, it, like I said, there's only five tracks in Act Two, and of those five tracks, two of them are very, uh, very lighthearted, kind of happy songs uh, in I Feel Pretty and G Officer Krupke. Uh, which is kind of weird. Um, I think of I Feel Pretty, it's, it's kind of like, it, it sort of serves as the like classic act two kind of opener where it's kind of a break from the plot. Uh, you know, act one has just ended with this tragedy uh, at the rumble and then act one opens and instead of jumping right into this dramatic plot again, we get sort of a break uh, as we get back into the setting for the story. And what happens is uh, Maria... Uh, has no idea what's just happened. She's still very 
hopeful about uh, her relationship with Tony. Uh, the tritone is uh, completely absent from this song, and we get this this very lighthearted uh, tune. I, th I really like this song. I think it's similar to One Hand, One Heart in the ways that you were saying, that it doesn't really sound like a lot of the score. There's not as much tritone in it, um, and none at all in this song. Um, but whereas One Hand, One Heart, you can find it kind of, it feels very lighthearted and joyful. Um, but I feel pretty, um, it still kind of feels foreboding just because you, the audience knows what has happened right before and the people singing the song have no idea. So it's kind of like darkly comedic in a way if you hear it in the context of the rest of the show. Hmm. Let's move on to the 13th track. Uh, which is a pretty iconic song called Somewhere. Uh, and at this point in the story, Tony has arrived, revealed to Maria what has just happened. And so it's, it's kind of, uh, it, it's sad, uh, but at the same time kind of reaching for some hope. Um, there's a huge difference between uh, this song uh, from the Broadway show and the movie. In the movie, it's just uh, basically this sweet little love ballad. It's only two minutes long, it, sung between uh, Tony uh, and Maria. Uh, in the Broadway show, this piece is, I think it's like eight or nine minutes long. Am I, is that too long? I'm, I don't have it written down in my notes. Anyway, much longer than uh, the movie version. And it's actually denoted as a ballet. And so there's a lot of instrumental pieces in this. I thought it might be interesting just to run through each section of this song. Um, so the song begins really oddly with this really weird frantic tune that's sung by Tony and Maria. It's kind of weird because it's really short and only appears at this moment um, in the song. I think it uh, probably was a good choice that they decided to exclude this uh, from the movie. The melody's kind of all over the place. Um, let me go ahead and play uh, the beginning of Somewhere for you. I will take you away, take you far, far away. It it just sounds so odd to me. <laughs> this really reminds me though of like in the fifties, like movie musicals had these like weird dream sequences, like singing in the rain. I think it was like nineteen fifty two, and there's like this weird dream sequence. Um, a lot of those like movie musicals from the nineteen fifties, my family would just like skip through those because they're just like these, like what is going on? They're like these dance scenes, and I feel like this is the part of the show that is that it's like this ballet and I think that intro is kind of like this is not actually happening in the world of the show this is what would happen if our love actually worked out and here's kind of like what that might look like and then there's a ballet about it so that's kind of what I would equate it to in this show yeah so after that kind of weird frantic melody that we hear we get this kind of strangely upbeat underscoring I'm assuming while some dancing is going on um and then the main somewhere theme that we're all familiar with is sung uh, not by Tony and Maria, as in the movie, but by someone denoted in the score simply as a girl. 
Uh, I'm not really sure what the context for this is uh, in the show, but it's just sung by one of the female cast members. Um, and it, it's a pretty uh, iconic uh, piece of music, pretty sweet uh, tune, uh, completely uh, devoid of the tritone. Um, and then we get this nice instrumental version of I Have a Love, uh, which is a song that we're going to hear um, uh, later on uh, in the show, which I think is kind of interesting because a lot of times in the show you'll hear a song song and then you'll hear kind of a instrumental version of it. But we've already heard a lot, uh, sort of the music being played and then the melody being sung, like in Maria uh, with that, that dance sequence. So that's kind of another unique thing about uh, this score. What's interesting about this instrumental version of I Have a Love is that there are tritones that are being played underneath it. Um, and so the, you know, Return of the Tritone, uh, it's back, uh, which is kind of sad because I Have a Love is such a, a pure kind of song. Let me go ahead and play that section of uh, this track so you can hear it. It, it, it sounds pretty uh, not pleasant. <laughs> it's interesting. I was going to say about one hand, one heart as well. There's this like line of, of lyrics where Maria says, till death do us part, as they're kind of like thinking about what their wedding might be. And then there's kind of like foreboding music underneath it. So the whole musical is kind of like setting you up to be like, I really want this to succeed, but like underneath you're like, okay, I know that it's not going to, especially if you know that it's a retelling of Romeo and Juliet, you kind of know the ending already. And I think that's similar here where like, it's a happy song, but there's still moments where you're like, this is doomed <laughs> from the beginning. Um, and the music is kind of telling you that. After that section, the entire chorus is gonna show up to sing the Somewhere tune. This is the first time in the show where we get the entire ensemble uh, singing together, uh, which is something that's so common in musical theater. It's interesting that it takes it this long in the show for the entire chorus to sing a song all together. So there's kind of some, I guess, unity on the stage uh, there. This is followed by a bunch of scary underscoring uh, with the conflict motif uh, coming back. This is actually in the score uh, uh, labeled as a different song called uh, Procession and Nightmare. Uh, so again, since I haven't seen the show recently, I'm not sure what the context is there. I'm guessing it's a dance sequence. Uh, but anyway, uh, called Procession and Nightmare, and it's got sort of nightmare vibes to it. Um, and then finally, we get to a section where uh, Tony and uh, Maria uh, sing just about two lines of the somewhere uh, melody. So yeah, overall, song is completely different than what the movie uh, displays. Rather than being this, you know, simple love ballad, it's actually some big instrumental orchestral piece that really serves more to progress the plot along perhaps or to highlight the conflict uh, that's going on. 
That brings us to track number 14, uh, which is uh, probably the most comedic uh, song in the show, which I think you've uh, pointed out lit is a little weird that it has its spot here chronologically. Uh, I think it was a good move for the movie to move it earlier in the show. The song is called G Officer Krupke. Um, and this song is sung by the Jets as they try to keep the police officers from realizing that they were a part of Bernardo and Riff's deaths. It has an odd vaudeville sound to it, something that we aren't really familiar with in this score. Um, this song actually uh, was also one of the songs that was borrowed from Bernstein's Candide, uh, along with One Hand, One Heart. So that's kind of interesting because it has definitely a, a different feel than the rest of the songs in the West Side Story score. There is, however, uh, the tritone is still there. Um, and it's pretty obvious once you uh, realize where it is. So this song is in uh, B major, which means that B natural is the dominant note in the scale. And every line uh, starts on the deer, uh, in the deer officer Krupke, uh, with E sharp or F natural, which is three whole steps up from uh, B, the dominant note in the scale. Uh, so that's a tritone. So despite it being a vaudeville sounding song, the conflict is still uh, there. Uh, so let's let's take a listen to G Officer Krupke, uh, where we are still hearing that tritone. So yeah, e even though this is a vaudeville sounding song, it's still got that extremely dissonant note uh, to start the song. It's a hard song to sing because it starts on such an awkward note. It's a hard note to find when you're singing. <laughs> That brings us to the uh, 15th track, which is actually a combination of two songs. Uh, it's called A Boy Like That uh, slash I Have a Love. Uh, it's basically split into three sections. So first, Anita sings A Boy Like That, which is kind of this quick-paced, uh, kind of chaotic melody with a lot of the sforzandos popping up. Uh, and then Maria sings this really pretty slow melody that contrasts greatly with that uh, song sung by Anita. Uh, and it's backed up by a simple pattern of quarter and whole notes. And then finally, Anita is actually going to join Maria to sing the I Have a Love melody again, uh, probably showing that they're kind of reconciling, even though Maria's boyfriend has just killed <laughs> Anita's boyfriend. It's a tough thing to overcome, I assume. It is. I, I love the contrast between the two songs and how the song kind of progresses. Um, we start with one that is anger and then we kind of end with one that just feels more resolved. Um, and one thing I, I did kind of think that was so interesting about the end of the song when Anita comes in to sing I Have a Love with Maria is that it sounded almost stark for there to be harmony and harmonization here because there hasn't been a lot of harmony in the rest of the score, which is so weird yeah. for a large Broadway show with the large ensemble. Like, for there to be not a lot of harmony is, like, 
very, very strange. Um, there's a little bit in America, again, that's just between Puerto Rican women as it is here. Um, and then there's in somewhere when the choral is chorus is singing somewhere, but in the parts where you have all the jet singing or all the shark singing, it's all one voice. There's not a lot of harmony. Um, so I do think it is interesting and I think it kind of points to Maria and Anita's relationship being kind of a strong relationship in the show. I mean, Anita goes through a lot for Maria. She covers for her when Tony comes to the bridal shop. Um, she tries to warn Tony and that's when she ends up being assaulted by the Jets. Um, and so it, it just, it's, it's stark, I think, to hear them harmonizing, um, which is interesting. And they even sing the last note in the same, there's no harmony on the last note, which I think is just interesting. I want to play on the piano really quickly, just the uh, orchestral accompaniment uh, to I Have a Love. Um, I think it's a really sweet, just very simple pattern of quarter note and half notes being played, but it's all still very kind of muddled. Like when you're playing it there, it's just, it's gorgeous. I love it. Well, thank you. Thank you, Bernstein. <laughs> Let's move on to the last track in the soundtrack, which is appropriately titled The Finale. Uh, the movie uh, ending is very different uh, to the uh, Broadway ending. The movie ends really sadly with, I mean, both of them end with Tony dying in Maria's arms, but the movie ends with Tony and Maria very sadly singing somewhere together. Um, you see more of the kind of emphasis on somewhere being a love duet between Tony and Maria in the movie, uh, but it's sort of the, the, the classic dying, I guess, scene where the two are trying to sing it together and Tony's not able to finish because he dies. Kind of got a little fall of rain vibes from uh, from Les Mis. Uh, but what happens in the uh, Broadway show is the entire chorus actually comes back and sings somewhere. Um, and then of course it's followed by the chords that we've talked about uh, from somewhere uh, with the tritones underneath it, which sadly indicate that, you know, the conflict and the hate are still there. Uh, indicated by the tritone, but it's still got those somewhere chords over top of that, so maybe some indication of, of hope there. This is another place where I think the movie does a good job of kind of interpreting this scene. When I heard the choral, like, yeah, it was weird. Of, who is singing this? Like, because they're not, they haven't, like, resolved their conflict, so I was like, who, who would be singing this? And maybe it's just a callback from, like, the dream world of, of the Somewhere Ballet. Um, but again, with like the somewhere melody not resolving, it was, a v when I was watching the 2009 bootleg, it was such an abrupt ending 
And, like, I cried when I saw the movie, and, again, I was crying when I was watching the bootleg. Because <laughs> it, it is, like, very, it's very heart-wrenching. It's a very heart-wrenching scene because they're almost together. He's, like, running to her. He screams Maria, and that's when he gets shot and then dies in her arms. Um, and so I was, like, crying. I was, like, processing my feelings about the whole show. And then the curtain starts coming down. And it was, like, wait a minute. I, I'm not done crying. I'm not even, like, to the climax of my tears. Like, it was so weird. I feel like normally in a show you kind of get time or, or it helps you kind of process what you've seen. But this show, when I was watching it, I was seeing the curtain coming down and being, like, wait a minute. Like, I'm still, like, processing what I just saw. It's, it's very abrupt. Um, and I feel in the way that, like, the somewhere melody doesn't resolve that just feels abrupt too like you you you're seeking resolution and it's just not there it's not coming and i think this is kind of another way that bernstein's saying that you know there's still issues like this that that persist and why they ha this has kind of been revived so many times kind of over and over again yeah and de definitely indicated just such a huge swing in broadway shows because up to this point all, all of the broadway shows that we're familiar with from that time period just ended so happily. And so I think that's why West Side Story caused such a ruckus because it just, it, 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 it changed everything because all of a sudden everything wasn't happy. So just sort of a more realist uh, approach uh, to the theater, I guess. Well, that takes us to the end of our dissection, our over-analysis of the Broadway score of West Side Story. And uh, as we've been doing in the past couple episodes, got a couple questions for you, Lydia. Uh, first of all, what, what was your favorite song uh, in this score? Wow, this is really hard. I forgot to think about this as usual, um, but... It changes. I think, honestly, right now it might be Dance at the Gym. That's the one I've been listening to most, huh. which is so weird. But I just love that moment when it gets the cha-cha. And I think it also lends itself to me saying, like, Maria is my favorite song because of that melody. I just love that melody. Um, so maybe Maria. I mean, t tonight's obviously, like, so great. But I think I've heard it so many times that it doesn't feel new to me. And I think that's a reason why maybe Maria and Dance at the Gym are more of my favorite right now. Huh. It really, for some reason, I'm really surprised that you you chose an instrumental piece as your favorite song. That's cool. I respect Listen. that. <laughs> <laughs> I think my favorite song, uh, yeah, it is hard. N none of them really stand out. It doesn't seem. I, I think they're just they're so they're all so similar uh, as far as chord progressions go. I I, I enjoy uh, playing something's coming on the piano. Uh, it's, it, I don't know, it, it's a good song. It's probably the one that I listen to the most, at least. Um, so least favorite now? Uh, oh gosh, you're gonna make me go first. My least favorite is Dance at the Gym, just kidding. <laughs> uh, honestly, can I pick a section of a song to be my least favorite? Because I think I would pick uh, the beginning of the Somewhere Ballet <laughs> from the uh, Broadway cast recording. That's such a weird uh, piece of music. <laughs> How about you? Just listen to the uh, film soundtrack and you'll be, you'll be cool. Um, mine might be cool. 
Um, I know that's it's some it's some people's like favorite song. It was, apparently was like in a Gap commercial or something. <laughs> um, but it just it's so unsettling, intense to me that it just like gives me like weird, creepy vibes. But yeah, I kind of I kind of enjoy the uh, the jazzy sound to the song. But yeah, I guess we have very different opinions on uh, on this. <laughs> yeah. All right, how would you rank uh, the score of West Side Story on a scale from one to 10? I'm trying to remember what you, we did this with Newsies and Wicked. I think you, what did you say? I think you said Wicked was like a 8.5 maybe. I think Newsies, Newsies was a 7.5, yeah. So where, would you put Wick, or where would you put West Side Story? It's really difficult for me because I really appreciate everything about this musical. I think like artistically, it's really, really up there. I think it's very clever. We were talking about this kind of before that it's based around a tritone and that's pretty much it. And it's simple in that way. But part of me thinks doing something simple is harder than doing something kind of more complex. The fact that it kind of like sticks to this one vocab and and changes it and, and moves it to kind of like tell the story is just I love that part I love that it's so like creative in that way but as far as like things I enjoy listening to because it is kind of dissonant it's a little bit hard to listen to a lot and to kind of it's not one that I come back to again and again um so maybe I'll go like a 7.75 it's very specific but what's yours yeah I, I was gonna say the exact same thing I don't think I've ever just like sat down and listened to West Side Story in the same way that I've done with Wicked and Newsies. Um, but yeah, when you, when you dive into it more deeply, and it, it's, it's so cool to look at it artistically, but yeah, for some reason, it's just not um, a score that I would, uh, would just like sit down and listen to, probably because of all the dissonant sounds. Um, and so, let's see, I'm trying to think of what I rated uh, Wicked and Newsies. I think I'm, I think I'm, because I don't listen to West Side Story as much, I feel like, uh, my ratings are based on, like, how much I enjoy listening to them, and so I think I'm gonna rate West Side Story lower than both Newsies and Wicked, and I think I'm gonna give it, uh, is that sacrilegious of me to do? No, not at all. What do you want? (laughs) I'm I'm gonna give it a a Mm 7.5. I, I can't, I can't wait for us to do a musical that we rate, like, under, five or something like that we need to do like a really bad musical at some point oh, no. <laughs> it just mix things up <laughs> yeah they're all probably going to be in sevens and eights because we enjoy listening to them and talking about them but yeah Thank you guys so much for listening to this episode of Broadway Overanalyzed. Um, we really appreciate you tuning in. We really enjoyed doing the research and doing the podcast. Um, follow us on Instagram. Give this a like and a rating um, if you feel so inclined. Um, and email us with any questions or feedback. Um, we'd love to hear from anybody. So thank you guys so much, and we'll catch you later. Bye.